Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Paradox, and I am Josh. I am Jimmy. And we are excited to have on the show Dr. David Vanderpool. David, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. David and his wife, Lori, started the Live Beyond Ministry that ministers to thousands of Haitians each year. We'd love to first start off the interview by you just telling us about Live Beyond. Absolutely. You know, this was... um something that we had done as a family for many years. And so we have three children, and uh, they grew up uh, being in this ministry really before we even got the 501c3. So for years and years, we would go throughout the world, either Africa, Central South America, uh, places like that, and minister to the poorest of the poor. So our target, target audience are those who are the extreme poor. And uh, with that, we provide medical care. I'm a trauma surgeon uh, by training. We provide medical care, clean water, and nutritional support. And so we've done this for many, many years, and we've seen the effect that it had uh, on our kids and uh, the positive effect and uh, how they've turned out. Now, you have, you of course, when Matthew hit Haiti, but you were also involved when Harvey hit down in the Houston, the Texas coast. There's just a few people that would have been able to see the devastation of, of what a storm like that did to Haiti, and then the same devastation in, in, in a first world kind of an environment like Houston. What were the differences in, of what you saw from those two storms, but how the devastation was different? You know, it's really interesting uh, that you asked that. You know, the Haitians have almost nothing. Uh, they are just universally extremely poor. And so for a hurricane to come through and devastate their home, uh, it's, it's absolutely uh, abysmal for them. It changes their life. They live on, on, on almost nothing to start out with, but they don't have a whole lot to lose. They don't have vehicles. They don't have you know, stores and things like that. And so the the difference is just in the amount of material things that are lost. But in Houston, I mean, they were not able to get Wi-Fi for a couple of days, right? So, I mean, it was, it's not that it wasn't <laughs> devastating. <laughs> that's right. Can't, can't get terrible. ESPN. I mean, that's terrible, you know. Uh, and Starbucks was closed uh, in our yeah. area. Uh, that's tongue-in-cheek. Of course, there's no Starbucks in Haiti. But, yeah. but it, it's really amazing, the dynamic, because, you know, you go to um, any place in the United States. We worked at after Katrina down in southern Mississippi. So, you know, we're well-versed in that. And just the amount of material things that are lost that are important to Americans, uh, it's, it's just so vastly different. The Haitians just don't have material things. And so if they lose their house, they just start over and rebuild. Um, and so it, it's a difference uh, in their approach to material things, I think. Which is interesting because that might to some sound like a, a bad thing, but there's almost freedom in that. 
not having a ton of material possessions. Really is. It's so interesting the joy that the people have, you know, who may live in a mud hut, um, you know, dirt floor. It may be smaller than most people's closet. You may have a, you know, four or 500 square foot uh, mud hut. They live in there with 10 people. The joy that they have is just phenomenal. Uh, you know, at, at church, we have a chapel service every morning and then a church service on Sunday. And they just sing their hearts out. And they're they're so joyous um, And in comparison to uh, a lot of people in the United States who have everything but don't have the joy. You know, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a big thing that we see different. Now, you mentioned going on short-term, what really led to the ministry to live beyond going on short-term mission trips with your family, and specifically with your children. Kind of speak to that and how special that was, because I know a lot of folks kind of toss that idea around, but maybe don't necessarily take the necessary steps to accomplish it. Well, you know, it was really special. It's I think it's so wonderful to be working in this kind of uh, environment as a family. And and when our kids were very young, uh, they each had jobs. So we would go into an area uh, and, you know, we would provide medical care and, and they all had jobs that needed to be done. They were expected to complete those jobs. And it, it gave a sense of responsibility to them, but it also really taught them about how a big portion of the world lives in this abject poverty. Um, In fact, my daughter, when she was about 12 years old, was actually my assistant in surgery in Africa. And so (laughs) she she learned very early on what that was like. And I think it uh, it just produced an amazing young woman now who's Mm -hmm. uh, director of our spiritual life um, program here in Haiti and does just a fantastic job. You know, we here at the Timothy Center, we deal a lot with families, uh, with adolescents, and and some of the issues that stem from, you know, behavioral issues with adolescents. I'm stunned by how many parents don't give their children even chores to do because, well, you know, they, they need to concentrate on their school and they need to have time, you know, for to, to be on Snapchat and to socialize with their friends because that's just how they do it these days. And yet you seem to have given your children substantial responsibility at a relatively young age through your experience just as a dad. What advice would you give to, to current parents in and, and how we're sort of, we, we just did a show a couple of weeks ago on the price of privilege and how that has really, a, the more a child has and the less that's expected of them, the more that life becomes sort of toxic. What would you say to parents you know, that are pretty much middle class in America? That's a great question. And, you know, I, I grew up in a very wealthy family. I grew up in Dallas. Uh, my dad's a surgeon. You know, we had the best of everything, went to the best schools uh, and uh, and really had the best of everything anybody could want uh, growing up. And and so from my upbringing, I was used to that kind of thing. But I saw that that produced a very negative thing uh, in, in people. And I think you either really embrace that or you really reject it. And I think I did the latter uh, and really felt from an early age, uh, my wife and I did, that we should serve the poor, that we should uh, to honor the poor, that we should focus our lives on making the lives of the poor better. And so our children grew up in that same environment where 
they would go to Africa. They would see children their same age that maybe half their size because they hadn't had enough to eat and they were mm-hmm. stunted in their growth. Um, and that makes an impact on children mm-hmm. at an early age. And I think what it does is it really defines for them what is important and what really is not important. And so the, the new iPhone, the, you know, the latest uh, Starbucks concoction, whatever it is, uh, the latest fashions, those things sort of go by the wayside when you see people suffering uh, in the 21st century that really there's no reason for them to suffer. We, we can take care of their suffering in a way that would uh, give them a much better life. David, what is your latest project in Haiti? What's going on right now presently with your organization? You know, we have a great base of operations here in Haiti. We have 63 acres. Uh, we've built a hospital. We have surgical services and delivery services there. Uh, we have a wonderful maternal health program that we provide education and food and vitamins and uh, to pregnant ladies we have a malnourished kids program that's fantastic. Almost half of the children in our area are malnourished, and so we provide them food, and, and all of them are in school. Uh, we provide after-school uh, education, tutoring for them as well. Uh, and we just we just finished, just put the finishing touches on our second school. So this school is going to be an English-based curriculum school. And uh, it's, we have actually have Wi-Fi in the school so that we can do video conferencing from uh, teachers in the United States just to try to raise the water level of the education around here. So it's just a fantastic thing that we have going. We're about to start a building that will provide occupational and physical therapy for the mentally and physically challenged uh, in our area. We're very excited about that. My wife's little brother had Down syndrome, and um, so we've named this this uh, building, this program after him. His name is Johnny, and so uh, this is Johnny's house that we're about to start that will provide occupational and physical therapy for the uh, the folks who are mentally and physically challenged. So we're excited about that. Now, so many folks do short-term missions and might feel a call to long-term missions and seeking wise counsel or through prayer. They kind of determine that's not necessarily the case, but you went out and kind of took your family and jumped in with both feet. Kind of walk us through the call to Haiti full-time and how that all came about. Well, I usually tell people I thought somebody said we were going to Tahiti, and, and I just misunderstood. <laughs> but a boom I got to tell you, a tough crowd, tough crowd. <laughs> well, you know, the Lord made it really clear to both of us and that, to, that we were to... Uh, sell everything, sell our possessions. We had a wonderful surgical practice in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, for us to sell everything and, uh, and to move, and we really thought that was going to be Africa. We've worked extensively in Africa. And so when our, our youngest went to college, uh, that was sort of my wife's and our, my uh, deal was that we'd sell everything and move. But Haiti was just uh, so much worse than the African company, countries that we had worked in. And so we really felt like the Lord was calling us uh, to Haiti. Uh, we're a disaster relief organization. So we came in two days after the earthquake in January of 2010, and we provided uh, medical and surgical services to the people who were injured. And uh, we just had a, it was a wonderful calling. It is, we're so fit for it. The Lord prepared us for this. Uh, and I think that's what I would tell people um, 
long-term missions are not just a whole bunch of short-term missions put together. You know, it's, it's a little different animal. And long-term missions are, are difficult. Uh, they're much harder than short-term missions um, just because you have to know the language, you have to know the culture, you're dealing with all the, the heavy lifting, the hard things that you might not get on the short-term missions. So, you know, it's not for everybody. Now, I think the Great Commission is for everybody. We all need to be telling people about the Lord Jesus. But as far as moving to Haiti, um, you know, it really takes special uh, person to be able to endure the hardships. You know, I I think of books like Toxic Charity or When Helping Hurts. There's been a lot of things come out, um, and maybe it, it was written about before, but over the past five to ten years about whether it be narrow-sighted or short-sighted or short-term missions can actually do more harm than good. Kind of speak to that and how you guys have really tried to overcome potentially the toxicity to, to, to mission work. Well, that's a great question. And, and there's no question that many short-term missions do do more harm than good. Uh, I think if they are overlaid on a long-term mission, that they have a greater success of, of uh, greater chance of success because the long-term mission hopefully will understand the culture, will understand the people, will know the people. And so people, uh, short-term missionaries coming in, will be able to work uh, within the, the constraints that the long-term mission provides. And so I think it's very important for short-term missions not to go off by themselves. Things that appear to be very helpful may be very unhelpful. Uh, and so, for instance, um, if people are just giving things out to people, I understand that feeling. You know, you, you come down, you're a wealthy American or a middle class American, and you come down and you see this intensive uh, poverty and you just think, well, these poor people, they just need me to give them money. Well, that's actually the, one of the worst things you can do because to, to enable people to, to build their own country and make their country a better place, then they've got to feel a responsibility uh, to provide for their families. And so this is one of the things that we do is we employ about 100 people on our base. And these people, we pay well. And so they are now, uh, through work, able to go and provide for their families uh, to build their own houses, to, to provide education for their children. And, and this just is an amazing uh, piece that is uh, given to these people. It's not charity. It's actually work. It's a transaction. And I think it's very important to have a transaction, unless you're in the face of some dire emergency, of course. Mm-hmm. But it, the, the, in general, that things need to be transactional. It it builds self-worth, mm-hmm. uh, and it allows those people then to go out and multiply these efforts uh, to their own people. And I think that's that's vital. Before doing this with the Timothy Center, I was a youth minister for 20 years, and so it was cool that, that in uh, be it local or down in the, the Texas Valley or overseas, I got to be with my kids. When we did these mission things, I got to sit there and watch my children interact with people on the mission field. And it was one of the greatest joys, you know, of parenting. What would, what would you tell families out there today as far as involving not just necessarily cutting a check, 
which is great and which is wonderful and which we need to do anyway, but to get involved and to get involved with their children in mission work? I think it's absolutely uh, just inherent in Christianity. You know, Jesus didn't say go into all the world and write checks. Um, He said go into all the world and teach the gospel. And I think that there is something about that. There's a nugget somewhere in that statement uh, that transforms people. And, and what we see is people come down, they get to know the people, they get to share Jesus with people one-on-one, and the, the Americans are as changed as, as the Haitians are. And I think that's why Jesus said to go. If we stay, we don't get that benefit. Mm-hmm. Stroking a check is is important, and you know I run a nonprofit, so I'm all in, I'm I'm interested in that. But as far as changing uh, someone uh, from the inside out, I think it takes going, it takes suffering, it takes getting out of your comfort zone, and when you have your children with you and they are seeing mom and dad serve the Lord by taking care of the poor. It radically changes the dynamic in that family as well, because mom and dad are going to be the leaders of that family or should be. And so when the children see that the mom and dad think it is this important to leave home, to go into a place that may or may not be safe, the food may or may not be good, the water may or may not be pure, and to risk that for the gospel then the child is going to have a greater hold on on the importance of the gospel, I think. One thing real quick, and I have no idea your age, but you've got kids that are out of college. But Keith Green, if you remember him from back in the day when Christian music was really good, I remember one of the lines from, you know, uh, reading his last day's newsletter, the last thing Jesus said was to go. So unless you have specifically been called to stay, then the last thing Jesus says was for us to go, and the emphasis on getting out of our comfort zone. Absolutely. You know, the last thing we say to our children as they're leaving for school in the morning is important. You know, we say, you know, I love you, or eat your lunch. And in our case, we said, please don't hurt anybody today. You know, our kids were a pretty good size. (laughs) And so, you know, the last thing you say is important. And I think that was true for Jesus, too. The last thing he said on the way out the door was, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel, you know. And uh, so I I think you're right. I think he's emphasizing the fact that it's very important. In closing, you mentioned how missions changes you. I'd love to hear a a personal story of that. How has has been working in hating changed you as well as your family? You know, it's amazing. The stories we have, we have so many. The hard part is picking one out because every day, you know, there's a new story. Uh, You know, one of the stories that, uh, that really impacted me, though, early on when we had first moved down here. Uh, Haiti has a, a huge problem with voodoo. In fact, about 60-70% of the people worship voodoo. And, and voodoo is not another denomination. It's actually a satanic worship. It's a terrible... De- I thought it was a split-off Methodist. That's not what it is. Well, yeah, sort of. Yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's an it's a open uh, worship of Satan. Uh, it's a blood religion. They sacrifice animals. They curse. It's the antithesis of Judeo-Christianity. So they have no hope. Uh, They have hate for each other and they curse each other. And so one of the things that the voodoo priestesses will do in worship to Satan is they walk through fire. And of course, uh, the walking through fire produces tremendous burns on their legs. And so 
a, a voodoo priestess by the name of Maisie came into our clinic one day and she was burned all the way up to her knees and actually had fourth degree burns. She had bone exposed. She'd been doing this for 15 or 20 years. And so we were treating her burns, uh, but she was very distant, very hard woman uh, in, in her worship for Satan. Satan had just corrupted any gentleness that she might have had. And so over the years of treating her every month, uh, treating her burns, getting her burns healed up, uh, she gradually began to soften and see the love of Jesus Christ uh, in my wife who was taking care of her. And then actually, uh, it's really easy to see the love of Jesus Christ in my wife. Uh, it just pours out of her. One day, you know, Maisie comes into church and she walks down and she says, today I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And she did so. And uh, she professed her faith in the Lord Jesus. She repented of all her sins and she was transformed on that day. And she, it was amazing the, what she gave up because the voodoo people now rejected her because she had rejected voodoo. And the Christians didn't trust her because she had these terrible burns on her legs that were the hallmark of voodoo worship. And so here Maisie basically took herself out of any social act, uh, interaction uh, on either side uh, of voodoo or Christianity so that she could worship Jesus. And, and you know, that, that's a commitment that's just hard Hard to replicate. You just don't see that very often. You know, not every story ends up like that, but the ones that do, the, the individuals that allow Jesus into their life and to change them, uh, those are certainly impactful. Thanks for sharing that. If you want more information about David and Lori's ministry, Live Beyond, you can find it at their website. It's livebeyond.org. They're also on Twitter and Facebook. It's I Live Beyond. David, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Come by and see us sometime. It's a All deal, right. David. Take thank care. you. One of the things I now regret ask, not asking him is how can people get involved? Well, if they go to livebeyond.org. Yeah, 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 I'm sure they could read it, but it would have been nice to hear it from the horse's mouth. Well, I was too busy blubbering over the Maisie story. <laughs> so yeah, livebeyond.org. I'm assuming I'm 100% confident yes. that you could give online, that you can go and minister yes. with them short yes. term. I would assume they'd also ha welcome your kids. They don't have to be adults since they also ministered as mm -hmm. a family. So an incredible work that you can get involved in if you don't have something already. When people come up, and we all have this, when people come up and go, yeah, you Christianity, there's all these hypocrites. They're just hypocrites. That's all Christians. Are. There's just a bunch of hypocrites. And I hope today that... Maybe in, in your world, you couldn't find a Christian that was authentic. Well, now you can. Now, now you got one, David and Lori, and what they're doing in Haiti, giving up a very lucrative surgical practice to devote your life, to devote your children, to devote your energies to helping those people who literally cannot help themselves. He's the real deal. And, you know, getting involved in an organization like that, be it giving or be it going, you know, and helping there and, and allowing your children to, to observe the real deal, that goes a long way. And, and if, if we're, gosh, do I send them to Young Life Camp or to, okay, there's no real, this is a no-brainer. Getting them involved in something like this could be life-changing. Some might even say the real deal, Holyfield. No. 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 Uh, they wouldn't. Nope. <laughs> Did you ever watch a Holyfield fight? I don't remember. 
Hmm. I saw Nor t- does anyone else listening. I saw remember. Tyson V. Holyfield. When he bought bit his ear. Well, they had two fights. I don't think I saw the, the, the biting of the ear. Yeah. That was 40, 50 years ago, Josh. Again, livebeyond.org. If you want more information, we'll have also links on our show notes. It's paradoxpodcast.com. You can check out this episode or any previous ones. You can also find us on our socials there on our website. We love you listening. Thank you so much for doing that. We'd appreciate it if you shared with your friends as well as, what Re- else do we ask? Oh, reviews. Review. Yeah, thank you. Take Thanks. Care. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. There's a man, one man, and I'm not picking on men, obviously, because we said we weren't going to do that. But here's one man who said, I will gladly put my wife and my children on the sacrificial altar in order to gain career advancement.